0: Hey story show listeners, Jeremy here. Our July 26th Let Your Light Shine show is quickly approaching. Our original deadline for submissions was June 14th, but we've decided to extend it. So if you've started a story or have a really good idea for one, keep working on it. Try to get those stories to us by the end of the day, this Friday, June 22nd. You can submit stories on our webpage, thestoryshow.org or via email at alstoryshow at gmail.com. All stories should be tied in some way to the Let Your Light Shine theme. We are continuing to release audio from our January Seeking Peace show, and our next story is one that connects with an issue that's been in the news a lot gun violence. I reached out to the storyteller before producing this episode and asked her permission to reflect on gun violence in this intro. Olivia gave her blessing, so here goes. I started teaching high school English about a year after the Columbine Massacre, and I've seen student reactions evolve over the years with each mass shooting that's followed. Students are less and less shocked at gun violence as it continues to be normalized in our culture. Students take our lockdown and evacuation drills more seriously each year, but they aren't shocked at all by the most recent shootings. Multiple shootings each year have become our norm. Likewise, politicians and school leaders across the country seem resigned to the idea that we can do little to deter gun violence, so we must focus on reactive measures, passing conceal-and-carry laws so that good citizens can arm themselves in public, calling for more police officers in school, and adopting school-wide training programs so that we know how to respond when an active shooter is already in the building. Few in positions to actually shape policy seem committed to addressing the one glaring factor that distinguishes America from other industrialized countries in this matter. Our uniquely easy access to firearms. In 2016, the American Journal of Medicine published a study showing that Americans are 25 times more likely to die from gun violence than people in developed countries of similar wealth. Are we simply less civilized than the French or the British? less capable of resolving conflict without firing a weapon? I don't think so. We simply have more guns and easier access to them. Opponents of increased gun control argue that guns don't kill people. People kill people. While this cliche is technically true, It's also true that people with guns kill people with more frequency and more efficiency than those using any other weapon or method. Guns are super lethal. Suicide statistics highlight this well. In 2008, the Harvard School of Public Health reported that annual suicides in America outnumber homicides by almost two to one that suicide attempts are often initiated by impulse, triggered by intense feelings of hopelessness and despair, but once the intensity of those feelings subsides, 90% of suicide attempters do not actually complete suicide. The Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence reports that nearly two-thirds of those who do complete suicide in America do so with a gun. Self-inflicted gunshots leave no time for second thoughts, the way other methods might. It follows that an impulse to hurt or kill others becomes exponentially more lethal when guns are readily available. Even when owning a gun to simply protect oneself and one's family, the lethality of a gunshot changes everything. A 2014 review of research by the Annals of Internal Medicine found that gun ownership doubles the risk of homicide and triples the risk of suicide, not to mention the obvious increase in the risk of accidental shootings. In America, we can't ban all guns, but... We also can't honestly say that we're working to reduce gun-related deaths, whether in homes, schools, or elsewhere, without acknowledging that something must be done about how easily nearly anyone can acquire a gun here. Owning something so lethal is a huge responsibility, one that can lead to tragedy. Our next story touches on this. Thanks for listening. Olivia Brown is known for her biting tongue. She fondly refers to her friends as snakes and fakes. Olivia takes every opportunity to drag those around her. For her, it's an obligation, not a chore. While her remarks can sting, those on the receiving end are often the ones she loves the most. To be a recipient of Olivia's comments says volumes about your relationship with her. Olivia's smart tongue and quick wit are quite unmatched in both Albert Lee and and Omaha. This is Reclaiming by Olivia Brown.
1: In the summer of 2016, my brother Spencer Brown was living in Alden, Minnesota. It was August 23rd, a very dark and somber night, and Spencer wanted to go somewhere that made him feel calm and at peace. His first instinct was to go to the place that he spent countless hours at every day. The place that made him fall in love with nature more and more and for him that was my Big Island State Park. He had loved nature and it made him feel free, but on that fateful summer night it would bring more tragedy than anything else. As Spencer pulled into the State Park, the storm was growing more intense. Lightning was flashing all around him and the rain started coming down harder. There was no way he could have anticipated the events that were to occur that evening. Although the weather wasn't the best, he continued farther into the park towards the pavilion. It was about 9 p.m. and there was another family there at the pavilion. It was David and Carla Easter, the parents of a two-week-old daughter. As soon as Spencer parked his car about 15 from about fifteen feet from the Easter's truck, he hopped out, crossed a small muddy field, and went to the restroom. A few minutes later, he exited the bathroom and trekked back to his car in a haste to avoid the rain. David walked up to Spencer's car and started asking him to leave because he was having dinner there with his family. My brother decided to ignore him, avoiding any kind of conflict. When we were kids, our brother Connor had gotten into a small argument with my mom. Spencer intervened and told him to step outside to cool off for a while. He valued nature and knew it as a place to clear his mind and find peace. He remained sitting in the car texting his friend about the good day he was having. Spencer refused to leave even after it was demanded of him. Easter walked through the rain to the other side of his truck and then back over to my brother's window. Spencer did not think, t- Spencer did not think he was serious when he asked him to leave until he looked down at Easter's hand. He was holding a gun. My brother was fumbling to lock the doors. He threw the station wagon into reverse, but right when, he, but right before he was about to back up, it was too late. Easter was no more than an inch from his window. He fired the gun twice, right into Spencer's head. The bullets killed my brother instantly. David gathered his wife and newborn daughter and fled the park. A few minutes later, he called the police and told them he had shot a man in self-defense at Myra Big Island. The Easter's were arrested. David was charged with second-degree murder, and Carla was released without charges. The police pulled up to the pavilion and saw my brother's car, the only one sitting there in the rain. They emerged from the squad cars, and as they approached Spencer's car, they found two bullet holes right through his window. Spencer was pronounced dead at 9.15 p.m. on August 23, 2016. His life ended in one of the places at bon- that brought him a complete serenity. The afternoon of August 24, 2016 was a chilly overcast day, which was quite unusual for that time of year. My sisters and I had gotten out of school, and as we were walking across the street, we noticed our family friend's car was sitting in the parking lot. As we approached the car, we saw our mother sitting in the passenger seat. I opened the door of the Jeep, and it was silent inside. My mom didn't even glance over at us. I immediately became suspicious and started wondering what was going on. The entire car ride back to my house was eerie. No one dared to make a single peep. It seemed to last forever. As soon as we pulled up the drive, my brother Connor's car was outside and I found it strange that he had come over. I hopped out of the car to escape the silence that had fallen over my mother. When I walked through the doors of my house, I looked to the right, and there were flowers sitting on the buffet. I thought it was a little strange and continued my way up the stairs. I slowly crept through the living room, and when I stepped into the kitchen, there were homemade meals and baked goods on the counter. That was when I knew something was off. My mind immediately went to my grandfather. He wasn't doing too well, and his health had been deteriorating for months. About, about 20 minutes later, my mom had called my sisters and I down to the living room to talk with us. When I walked into the room, I noticed that my mom's eyes were tearing up a little bit. Right when she opened her mouth, I knew what I was about to hear wasn't going to be good. Girls, she said after a long pause. She choked out the, wor- she choked out the words, Spencer died last night. A detective came to our house this morning and handed me a note with a phone number for the Albert Lee Police Department on it. I called it and they told me that Spencer had died. My head started spinning and I could barely think. I began sobbing uncontrollably and couldn't stop. The tears just kept on coming. How did this happen? What do you mean he died? I managed to utter. My mom had told us very little facts that she knew and was told that we would know more about about what happened in the days to come. The only things I remember from that night was how my shirt was soaked in tears and the bright red of my bloodshot eyes. Spencer dying at such a young age, only 23 years old, really took a toll on the family. Some of the wounds of this homicide cause may never be mended, even with time. Around the middle of March, the starting date for the trial had been set, and my mom wanted to be there for my brother through the entire thing. Over the following weeks, my family and I stayed in Minnesota so my mom could be present during the trial. On, the thir- on April 13, 2016, the trial was coming to an end. And after weeks of feeling stressed and anxious, the jury was to decide on a verdict. When my mom came back from the courthouse, she had told us that the jury had gone to deliberate, and it could be a while before we found if Easter was guilty or not. After hours of pacing back and forth around the house, my mother had received a phone call. The jury was done deliberating and the verdict was in. My mom started calling everyone's names to tell them the news and that she would be back in a while after to tell us the verdict. My mom rushed out of the house and sped towards the courthouse while my sisters and I were left to worry about the outcome. About an hour and a half had passed and I was growing more impatient by the minute. Just then I looked out the front window and saw my mom pulling up the long drive. I was so anxious and had no idea what the outcome was going to be. My mom walked inside. She gathered around my sisters and I to let us know the verdict. She didn't even have to say a word before I knew what the answer was. There was nothing but complete relief on her face, and that's when I knew that he had been found guilty. Easter was found guilty with felony, second degree murder, and a gross misdemeanor charge of carrying a pistol without a permit in a public place. After eight months, we were starting to get a little closure and stress. And the stress and anxiety were slowly melting off of us later that week my sisters and i decided to go on our final ride through the state park before we left omaha the sun was just starting to set and you could see the yellows and oranges glistening off the lake as i biked the trails i could feel the warm breeze blowing through my hair and the wind howling all around us i remember looking around and thinking how at peace i was all the worries left me that evening in the park and i never felt more relaxed than i did in that moment Nature has helped me in my process to heal and gave me a place where I can feel completely relaxed and at ease. Although something so tragic happened to my brother outdoors, I still find myself yearning and wanting to spend as much time as possible soaking up nature and all it has to offer, exactly as Spencer would have done.
0: story show is produced by Riley Worth, Angie Zoller-Barker, and me, Jeremy Corey Greenus. Check out our new webpage at thestoryshow.org and please listen to our podcast. You can find us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Just search for The Story Show in quotes and you should find us. Thanks.